Well, today uh, we're kicking off a brand new series called Letters to the Next Generation. And, and I'm really excited about this series because uh, we've asked some trusted members of an older generation of faith, uh, what words of advice, what words of counsel, what words of challenge, uh, or even what words of warning uh, would they like to give to the next generation? And, and so we asked some people uh, some very specific questions and then they gave us some very specific answers. So we're gonna take uh, the words of some trusted members of an older generation, and we're going to talk about it uh, for the next couple of weeks. But before we jump into the content of this series, though, I want to say this to everybody. Uh, it doesn't matter what generation you may be a part of, whether you're part of an older generation or a younger generation, there's something in this series for everyone. So again, doesn't matter whether you're younger or older, in this series for the next couple of weeks, I promise you there's something in it for you. So I'm gonna invite you to lean in, I'm gonna invite you to listen because I promise you there'll be something in this series that you need to hear that will make your life better for you and for those around you. Also, let me say this uh, as well. The reason that we're doing this series or this type of series is really simple because whenever we listen to anyone who knows more, who has seen more, who has experienced more uh, on the journey of life than what we have, it enables us and enables you uh, to be able to go further faster. Whenever we listen to someone, whenever we pay attention, uh, whenever we learn something from anyone who knows more, who has seen more, who has experienced more, both the good, the bad, and all the in-between, whenever we encounter someone who knows more, sees more, who has experienced more than we have, it gives us the opportunity to move further, faster, and safer uh, into our own futures that God has prepared for us. So this series is really just a carryover of a theme that has been surfacing for the past couple of weeks have been tracking with us. Uh, and the theme is wisdom. And as you might already know, because we've been talking about it in lots of different ways for the past couple of weeks, when it comes to wisdom, uh, the scripture has a lot to say uh, about wisdom and specifically the book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. Uh, listen to this one. Uh, the Proverbs says, listen to advice right? Uh, that's just good advice. Listen to advice and accept instruction. Now, it's one thing to be given advice, and it's another thing to be given instruction, but it's an entirely different thing to listen to it or to heed it or to implement it. Uh, you might hear it, uh, you might remember it, uh, but what you do with it will say much about you. What I do with it will say much about me. Listen to advice and accept instruction. Why? Uh, that you may gain wisdom when, when in the future. So you listen to advice, you accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. So the reason that you should listen and the reason that you should receive instruction is because there's something in it for you. You will gain wisdom for your future. And again, the idea is that someone further down the road than what you are knows the road better than you do because there's a portion of the road that you've not even traveled on. They know the pitfalls. They know the dangers. They know the potential traps. They know the highwaymen that may be laying in wait somewhere along the way. And if we listen if we pay attention, if we receive instruction, then we are gonna gain wisdom in our future, which means that we're gonna be able to better navigate the path that lies before us. And so the point is, listen to what others have learned about their yesterdays and in turn gain wisdom for all your tomorrows. And that's a good trade-off, that's, that's a good deal. 
If someone who's lived longer, if someone who has lived more, seen more, heard more, had to deal with more, encountered more, if that person is willing to give advice, if that person is willing to give instruction and we receive it, if they look back to their past and say, man, you know, here's what I learned in my 20s. This is what I learned when I first got married. This is what I learned about parenting. This is what I've learned about money. This is what I've learned about faith. This is what I've learned about life. If they look back into their past and they bring all of that wisdom from some lessons that sometimes were painfully learned. Uh, some of those lessons they just learned along the way, but some of them, they were costly lessons and they pull that wisdom out of their past and they hand it to you in the present. It's gonna make your tomorrow much better. It's gonna make my tomorrow much better. You're gonna be able to navigate your future in a better way because someone who's been there and done that, they figured out some things and then they turned around and they gave us advice, they gave us instruction uh, that we actually received and we did something with it. Because of it, we were able to live a better future. Uh, another proverb says this, instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. Because people who have a modicum of wisdom, people who desire wisdom or seek after wisdom or who ask for wisdom, uh, people who are conscious of their need of wisdom, um, they want to learn from people who have wisdom. Uh, when they see someone, uh, when they see a person, they see a man, they see a woman, they see a family who seems to have just a lot of wisdom about them, um, a wise person or a person who's seeking after wisdom, uh, they will be drawn to those people. They'll be drawn to that person. The wise person wants to be with wise people. And the person who's perceived to have more wisdom or wisdom that's desired causes a person who craves after wisdom to listen. Uh, to be curious, to ask questions, um, to be open to receive counsel, uh, to be willing to acknowledge at least internally and personally that, hey, I, I may not know what's best or I may not know all that I need to know. Uh, you probably know more than I do, so I should probably ask you some questions and then I should just shut up and then I should just listen. Uh, wise people wanna gain insight from the wisdom of other people. Uh, they wanna gain insight from other people's mistakes and other people's failures and other people's successes in all the different areas of life. That's what wisdom does. Wisdom makes us a student of wise people. Uh, sometimes we can gain that wisdom through reading. Sometimes we can gain that wisdom through observation. Sometimes we can gain that wisdom through conversation. Uh, but in this series, uh, we are trying to solicit wisdom from an older generation so that uh, really all of us uh, can gain wisdom about how to better move into our own future. So we wanna gain insight about how to live our lives with more skill, which again, that's wisdom. Uh, here, here, let me give you another one. Let the wise listen. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. So when you listen to good counsel and you listen to good insight and you listen to good advice, it makes you sharper, it makes you smarter, it makes you better. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. Because again, what Solomon understood, uh, what many of the wise writers of Proverbs understood is that everybody in life could use a little bit of guidance. Matter of fact, let's just be honest. Uh, everybody in life could actually use a whole lot of guidance. And, and, and guidance or having a guide in life really is just depending on someone who knows the way, They've been the way, um, 
They've lived the way and they can show others the way. That, that's what a guide does. A guide, a guide knows the path. They know what's ahead because they've traveled it before. They know when to be extra careful. They know when you can speed up. They know when you can slow down. Guides know when it's a good time to take a rest and sit down. They know all the potential dangers. They know it, they know it because they've been on that way before. And now they're spending their time showing the way. They're showing other people how to navigate a path they've never been on before. And, and again, this is the opportunity that we have. Whenever we're with someone of wisdom, whenever we're with someone who's lived life to the full and, and they've been there and they've done that and they know more than we do, we have an opportunity to let them guide us. Now, when you read in the Old Testament and, and you read through the early part of the Old Testament about the nation of Israel, uh, when it came to their faith and when it came to their family structure, uh, their entire culture was really built around this notion, this notion that we need guidance uh, from people who are further down the road than we are, uh, that we need guidance and guides. Uh, we need people who know the way and who can show the way. Their, their faith system was, was built around this notion in many ways and the family structure was built around this in many ways. Uh, it, it was really you know, the idea that those further down the road can help us better navigate the path forward. So in the book of Deuteronomy, you know, as, as Moses gives this big sermon to the nation of Israel, uh, and he's encouraging them about how to live their lives and some things that they need to do and some things they, they need not to forget. He, he says to them, remember the days of long ago, because there's valuable lessons in the past. You know, remember the days of long ago. Think about the generations past. Why would you do that? because there's some valuable things to learn. There, there's some important insight to be gained when you think about the past and when you think about generations long ago. There's just valuable wisdom out there. It's like fruit growing on a tree and it's ready for the picking. Ask your father and he will inform you. Inquire of your elders and they will tell you. In other words, stay teachable, stay curious, you know, be a student of history, both, you know, a large scale of history and also, you know, the personal history of the people who are close to you that you have a relationship with and, and ask questions. Hey, tell me about this and tell me what you learned about this or tell me what I should know that I don't know or tell me what you wish you knew then that you didn't, that you do know now. Uh, this really is the heart of this series. It's about leaning in, it's about listening uh, to what others who are ahead of us are saying to us about the journey uh, that we're all on. Uh, we've asked some people to look into their past and draw out some wisdom uh, we've asked some people, hey, what would you wish someone would have said to you earlier on in life that would have made a difference? And, and then we've tried to collect some of that and we're gonna give, give you a few of, those, few of those little bits of wisdom in this, in this series. So today, uh, I, I'm just gonna jump in on the first piece of advice, the first piece of counsel uh, that an older generation, some trusted members wanted to say to us. And so we wanna have the humility, we wanna have you know, the, the desire for wisdom uh, to listen and to receive advice and to gain insight. Uh, and hopefully we'll be wiser because of it because that's what happens to wise people when they're given wise counsel, they get wiser. So, so here, here's where we're jumping in on this very first week. Here, here's, here's the piece of advice. Be careful what you chase after. Be careful what you chase after. Be careful what you chase after. You're, you're gonna chase after some things in life, but, but be careful what you chase after. Uh, you can chase after right things in life, uh, or you can chase after you know wrong things in life, or you can even chase after the right things in the wrong way. 
in life. So be careful what you chase after. Uh, be careful um, chasing after acceptance because if you chase after that in the wrong way, it can take you into some really dark places. Be careful about chasing after prestige or success uh, because it, it can be a, a cheap way of life if you chase after it in the wrong way or you have the wrong ideas or perception about it. Beware about chasing after things or material things or just you know increasing your portfolio. Uh, be careful about chasing after people uh, because that can be a dangerous thing. Uh, be careful about chasing after, you know, things like popularity or approval or pleasure or validation or freedom. Uh, because those things can upset your life. Those things can undermine your present. Those things can undermine your future. Be careful what you chase after. Because in the end, you may end up catching it. And when you catch it, it may unexpectedly wreck your life. It may surprisingly ruin your life. So be careful what you chase after. Um, because the idea I think behind this piece of advice is, hey, you need to know, I need to know that my desires, they have the capacity, they have the potential to destroy me. Your desires, our desires have the capacity to destroy us. Our appetites, you know, our natural God-given appetites, our appetites can sustain our life when we control them or they can destroy our lives when we, when we don't. So today, I, I wanna take this idea of beware what you chase after, and I wanna use it you know, as the backdrop, I wanna use it as the foundation for, for what I wanna talk about for the next few minutes. Uh, under the umbrella of beware what you chase after, beware what you chase after, think about it, pay attention to it, beware what you chase after. And I wanna talk about, you know, with that in mind, the lie of the greener grass. The lie of the greener grass. We've all heard the saying before, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. And though we've heard that so many times, you know, it's a cliche and, and it dates back to a poet, you know, a long time ago. And then it was revamped again in the early 1900s. And so there's a real interesting history that you can Google about, you know, this saying, you know, the lie of the greener grass. It, it started off with saying, you know, another man's harvest is always better than mine. And, and there's always been different variations of it, but we've all heard it. You know, the grass is always greener on the other side. And though, it's cliche, and though we've heard it so many times, so many of us, we fall for the lie of the greener grass. And, and we make some really bad decisions. We make some really unwise decisions, some really devastating decisions because we fall for the lie of the greener grass, even though we've heard this saying so often when we're being lied to by the greener grass, we hardly ever realize that we're being lied to by the greener grass. We just don't realize it. And, and, and you're thinking, well, what is the lie of the greener grass? Well, the lie of the greener grass is simply this. What I don't have is better than what I do have. What I don't have is better than what I do have. The kids that I don't have is better than the kids that I do have. The wife that I don't have is better than the wife that I do have. The husband that I don't have is better than the, than the husband that you know, I, I, I actually have, or the family, or the home, or the job, or the lifestyle, or, or the quality of life, whatever you wanna call it. It's the idea that what I don't have What's over there on the other side of the fence, what may be forbidden, what is outside the bounds, it's, it's better than what I actually have. And so, you know, the idea of this lie of the greener grass, it's, it's, the, it's the theme of unchecked desires or uncontrolled desires that begin to cause us to have like a, what I would call a perception deception. 
what we perceive to be true is actually not true. And we're deceived by our own perception of what we think is true and what we think is real and what we think is actual. What I don't have is better than what I do have. It's a perception deception. It's not true, but it feels true. And to us, it begins to look true. And everything in my life begins to feel that way and, and to support that it is true, though it's not. Um, and so when we begin to believe this lie of the greener grass that what I don't have is better than what I do have, you know, I begin to fixate on it. I begin to look at it. I begin to focus on it. I begin to think about it. I begin to fantasize about it. You know, I, I begin to dream about it. You know, I begin to talk about it. And, and I never realize that what I am concentrating on, what I'm looking at, it's just an edited version of something. It's, it's, it's not reality. It's just edited. It's edited a bit by my imagination. It's edited a bit because, you know, we hardly ever see things as they truly are. I, I begin to look at it and I think I'm seeing the whole picture, but I'm just seeing a part. And, and so I confuse just a part of what I can see with the whole picture. And, and what I'm looking at, this grass, you know, whatever the grass is that's on the other side of the fence, it just begins to look better than what it really is. Uh, and it begins to promise me some things. You know, the more I look at it, if I think if that could be my grass, if I could just climb the fence and, and, and live in that grass or have that grass, I think my life would be happier. I think my life would be better. I think my life would be more exciting. I think my life would be more fulfilled because what I do have, it just doesn't compare to what I don't have. And if I could have what I don't have, then it's gonna change my life and my life's gonna be great. And, and we believe the lie that everything about us is just gonna be better than what it's ever been. Now, it's this lie, the lie of the greener grass. What I don't have is better than what I do have. This lie has wrecked family after family after family after family after family and marriage after marriage after marriage after marriage. It's destroyed individuals. It's, it's, it's undermined so many futures because someone somewhere, they decided, hey, the grass is greener. I'm gonna chase that pleasure. And when they chased that pleasure and they caught it, what they thought was pleasure, they actually just caught pain but they couldn't see it because they had been lied to by the greener grass. They thought that they were about to receive pleasure, but all it caused was pain. They chased freedom, what looked like freedom, what seemed like a breath of fresh air, what seemed like an open horizon, and they chased freedom, but all they found on the other end, once they actually caught it, was slavery. They chased after happiness because they convinced themselves, I'm not happy here, I'm not happy with them, I'm not happy with this, you know, nothing in my life makes me happy, so everything in my life must be wrong. And so they chased after what they thought would give them happiness, what they thought would be happiness, and in the end, they only caught regret. It's the of the greener grass. What I don't have, it's better than what I do have. And whenever you and whenever I begin to believe the lie of the greener grass and I be begin to believe that what I don't have is better than what I do have, we all forget something in that moment which is so important that we know is true but we forget it's true and when we forget it's true, <laughs> it can destroy us. And here's what we forget when we start chasing after the right thing in the wrong way, or we start chasing after the wrong thing and we start believing the lie of the greener grass. We forget that not everything that sounds good, looks good, and feels good is good for you. I forget that not everything that sounds good, looks good, and feels good is good for me. When, when I believe the lie of the greener grass, I actually start believing that just because it sounds good and because it looks good and because it feels good, it must be good. I forget that there's a lot of times in life that what sounds good, what looks good, what feels good, it actually isn't good for me because we know this. It, again, it's just one cliche after another. Everything that glitters 
it's not gold. Not everything that you have wanted and received, it's not always a blessing. Not everything that I've ever wanted and received and have, it's, it's not always a blessing. Uh, not everything that you've chased after and caught, are you glad that you caught? What makes you feel alive in one moment may cause you to wish you were dead in the next. That's the advice, beware what you chase after. Uh, what, what you can't afford to live without in your mind, and so you do whatever it takes to, to get that thing that you think you can't live without. And, and because you believe in that lie of the greener grass, uh, you find out that if you actually get into the greener grass or supposed greener grass, you may be standing in a place that you wish you would have never ended up. And so today, I just wanna to say to all of us, we can't afford to fall for the lie of the greener grass. And we can't afford to fall for the lie of the greener grass like the man that we're gonna talk about today. Uh, he was a man who had perception deception. What he looked at and thought he needed because of what he wanted uh, ended up costing him far more than he ever wanted to pay. It, it's a man whose story was that he left a good place for what he thought was a better place and he ended up in the worst place. Uh, he thought what he wanted would be rewarding uh, but in the end, it just ended up robbing from him some of the things that were most important to him. And the guy that we're gonna talk about today, uh, some of you have heard about, some of you know him, uh, you're certainly gonna recognize his uncle, but it's a guy by the name of Lot. And Lot, uh, his uncle was named Abram or Abraham, the father of faith, kind of a big deal in the book of Genesis. Uh, and, and so he goes by Abram, you know, his name eventually gets changed to Abraham. So sometimes I may call him Abram, sometimes I may call him Abraham, but you'll know that I'm talking about Lot's uncle. And so here's what we're going to do. We're just going to jump into this story. There, there's a lot of context uh, of what's going on that's not necessary for us to understand the meaning of the passage. Um, you can go back and you can read what happens before this. It's a great story, but let's pick it up here. It says, so Abraham went up from Egypt because he, he's been down in Egypt for a season of his life. He went up from Egypt uh, to Negev with his wife and everything he had in Lot. There's, there's his nephew, and Lot went with him. Now, the very next verse kind of gives us an idea of, you know, Abraham's portfolio, Abraham's, you know, stature. Uh, it says, Abraham had become very wealthy um, in livestock and in silver and in gold. And if you'll go back and read the story of how, you know, Abraham received a lot of this wealth, it's ill-gotten gain. Uh, even the fathers of faith, uh, they fell on their face from time to time. They made fools of themselves. Uh, they did some things that were embarrassing. They did some things that were shameful. They did some things that were scandalous uh, because they, like us, were human. And, and they, like us, were recipients of grace. And so Abram had made some really bad decisions in Egypt and, and, and he was a bit of a plotter and a little bit of a liar. And, and he did some things that if, you know, if we'd heard about somebody doing that in the 21st century, we would just think, oh my God, what kind of person would do such a thing? But because of his time in Egypt and because of some of those things that he did, he'd received some from some wealth. So here, here's, here's uh, Abram, he comes out of Egypt, he's got a lot of wealth and it says from the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier. And the reason that the writer tells us about this is the very next verse. In verse four, it says, this is where he had first built an altar 
there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. So, so Abraham's in a place that, that was spiritually significant to him, that had a lot of spiritual memories attached to him. Uh, and, and so he had met the Lord there. He'd built an altar there. He'd called upon the name of the Lord there. He'd had an experience with God there. And so th this was a very special geographical place for Abram. Uh, it will be for, for his grandson, Jacob. Uh, we talked about Jacob and Bethel, you know, a few weeks ago. So, you know, we're, we're getting this idea that here's this man of faith. Uh, and even though he's a man of faith, it doesn't make him perfect. And even though he's a man of faith, he still does some things that's disappointing uh, because he, he's human. And so we get a lot of this and, you know, sometimes we miss it because we don't take time to think about it. But I think this is part of the story that the writer is telling us. It says, now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, uh, so he's kind, of, he's kind of become, you know, Abraham's traveling partner. Uh, he also had flocks and herds and tents. So, so Lot, uh, Lot was a man of wealth and possessions himself. Uh, he, he had a decent portfolio, maybe not as, maybe not as big or as deep as, as Abraham's, his uncle's, but he, he had some things. And, and so you've got Abraham with all of his stuff and you've got Lot with all of his stuff and they're traveling together and it's this huge caravan and it's really this quite impressive scene. Uh, but the writer, you know, he, he lets us know that, you know, Abraham's wealthy, Lot's wealthy. You know, there's a lot of wealth between these two guys. And it says, but the land, the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And, you know, you've seen this and I've seen this and we've all seen this. We've all heard about this uh, from time to time and maybe even experienced in our own families. These two guys, one of the reasons why they couldn't stay together was because of their vast wealth. Uh, wealth, possessions, uh, sometimes it has a tendency when we don't handle it right, it can divide us. Uh, wealth often divides people rather than brings people together. You, you'll see this in families when, you know, the patriarch passes away or the matriarch passes away. And, and then there's the stuff you know, there's the money, there, there's, the, there's the house, there's the land, there's the different things that begin to get split up. And as the possessions or the wealth begins to get split up, guess what, what else splits up? It's the family, because wealth, wealth can be such a thing. You know, the love of money, uh, the root of all evil, that idea, that it has the ability to, to divide us. And that's what's happening to Lot and Abraham in, in this particular setting, something we've all seen, something we know is incredibly human. Um, they're, they're kind of not able to, to stay in sync with each other because of all of this stuff. And then it goes on and says, you know, not only that, but you got all this drama that's expanding. Uh, in verse seven, it says, and quarreling arose between Abraham's herders and Lot's. So there's all of these herds, all of this livestock, you know, there's a lot going on and, you know, you're trying to find food for all the animals. And so, you know, Abraham's staff couldn't get along with Lot's staff. And it says the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. So there was just a lot going on. There was a lot of drama. There was a lot of stuff. And so Abraham and Lot, you know, there was this, there was this growing chasm between them. And, and then their, their herders couldn't get along with each other. And it was just this, this big thing. Uh, and in those moments, you know, we all have to decide, you know, what's most important. 
And, and Abram, modeling faith, because again, that's what I love about the Bible. It just gives us the, the raw truth and the raw portrait of people. You know, one minute, you know, you're making a terrible decision in Egypt, and then the next, you're, you're reasonable, you're thoughtful, and, and your value system shines through like, like a needed light into darkness. It says, so Abraham said to Lot in the midst of all of this, you know, relational drama, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. So we, we shouldn't do this. Um, Abraham's like, you know, I've seen a lot of families go south because of wealth and because of money and because of all of this. Let, let's not let this be our story. Let, let's, not, let's not let this happen to us. Uh, Abraham, this is kind of his way of saying, listen, our relationship is far more important than all of this stuff. And that's just a good place to get to in life. That's just a good piece of advice that our relationships, whether in families or whether outside of our families, among friends, wherever it is, whatever it is, that our relationships with people are always more important than the stuff uh, that surrounds those relationships that we have with people. Uh, so Abraham, he's saying, listen, th this is what matters most. Me and you, our families, it matters more than all this stuff. Some people can't get there. Some people, some people can't believe that. Some people can't live that way. And because of it, people just keep dividing and relationships get broken and families you know, are broken and it's just, it's just an ugly thing. It's an unfortunate thing. It's a heartbreaking thing. But Abraham says, let's not do this. He says, is not the whole land uh, before you uh, let's part company, okay? I, I don't think we can make this work. There's so many animals, your workers, my workers, it's gonna be harder, you know, for the animals, it's gonna be harder for us. So let's part company on good terms. If you wanna go to the left lot, I'll go to the right. If you wanna go to the right, I'll go to the left. So Abram, you know, he's being magnanimous here. He's saying, okay, listen, I want there to be peace. I want there to not be this lack of, you know, this lack of reconciliation. I, I want us to be reconciled. I want us to be together. I, I want our relationship to be salvaged. I, I, want, I want us, you know, to, I want us to stay family. Uh, so I'm gonna tell you, if you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. I'm gonna let you choose where you go and where you settle. I'm gonna put you before this. I'm not gonna to try to claim superiority. I'm not gonna to try to you know, cast the elder card or I'm your uncle card or any of that. I'm just gonna go ahead and let you know you're more important. Your relationship's more important than this. You choose. If you go left, I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. And, and so it begins to be Lot's choice. And it says that Lot looked around and saw. So he's looking around and he's checking out the grass on the other side of the fence. He's, he's looking at where he's at with his uncle and, and he's trying to play the tape out to the end of what it's gonna be like, you know, being where his uncle is and, you know, all of that. Um, and so he's looking at all the other fences and on the other side of the fences, he's checking out all the grass. Now, I think Lot could have said, uncle, I wanna stay with you. Abraham, I think we can make this work. I don't, I don't, I don't want us to have to go separate ways. He, I think he could have said that. Uh, I think that would have been an option for him. Perhaps, you know, we'll say at the end of the story, maybe that's what he should have said. Uh, but he said that he looked around. And, and so in this moment, he begins to get what I mentioned earlier. He begins to get perception deception. And, and the grass that he's gonna look at and get fixated upon and become attracted to, th this grass that he's not gonna be able to get out of his mind, it's gonna be this edited version it's gonna be this part that he can't see the whole and, and he's gonna just begin to hear the whisper. Hey, what I don't have is, 
It's not as, what I do have is not as good as what I don't have. Uh, And I think I need what I don't have. And where I'm at is not as good as where I'm not at. So I, I need to be somewhere else. I need a whole bunch of other things in my life that I don't have in order to be happy, in order to be fulfilled. And, and so he's like in this moment, kind of like, you know, Eve was in the garden when she looked at the tree, you know, the tree that she wasn't supposed to eat from, that God said, hey, you can have all the other trees, but there's one. And she looked and, and it was the live, the greener grass that, <laughs> hey, what, what you don't have, you know, this fruit on this tree, what you don't have is better than what you do have. And, and it happened to Eve in the garden and, and we've been struggling with believing the lie of the greener grass ever since. And this is kind of where Lot is in this moment, though he doesn't realize it and we hardly ever realize it in the moment. So Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So, so here's Lot, he, he looks around and, and he looks towards, you know, the plains of Jordan and, and he, sees, he sees the grass that's on the other side of the fence and, and this grass, it just seems so much better than, than where he's at. And again, he's believing this life, what I don't have, it's better than what I do have. And, and so he's making a decision. And, and when we're making a decision, we always look for good reasoning to make a decision, or at least we look for something that can convince us that we're, you know, we have good reasoning and make a decision. And so he, he's, first of all, he's going to kind of tell himself a religious uh, reason that he wants to go in a direction that he probably instinctively knows that he shouldn't. Uh, it's a religious reason. He's like, oh man, that, that, that reminds me of the Garden of Eden. That reminds me of what, what I was told about, you know, from the very beginning, you know, where Adam and Eve lived. And so he has kind of this religious excuse. And, and, and again, we do the same thing in moments like this. Uh, we come up with religious excuses to do things that we pretty much already know that we shouldn't do. You know, I prayed about it and I really felt peace about it. I just really felt peace about it, you know, and it's like, I, I just knew, I just knew, I just felt it lift and I, I, I knew I was supposed to do it. Or, you know, I prayed that our paths would meet. And so, you know, I drove around town for six hours and pretty much, you know what? I saw them. They, they drove on the other side of the road and I knew it was God telling me, hey, it's okay. You, you were meant for each other. Or, you know, you were driving down the road and you were thinking, you know, I don't like my job. You know, it doesn't, doesn't make me feel fulfilled. And, and you were looking for a reason to, to quit and to be irresponsible. You don't have anything else lined up and, you know, all the reasons. And then all of a sudden on XM Prime Country came Johnny Paycheck, Paycheck and he was singing, you know, take this job and shove it. You know, I don't work here anymore. And you're like, there, there you go. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. You, you have answered my prayer. It's very clear to me what I need to do. We do silly things like that all the time. We, we play the God card. We, we play the spiritual card and, and we try to spiritually, religiously, you know, justify something that actually runs in the opposite direction of our faith. And then the second reason, which is the real reason was because he thought it reminded him of Egypt. And while he was in Egypt, this pagan culture, he just fell in love with it. He loved the way of life. He loved the value system. He, he just loved it. And he thought, hey, the life in Egypt is far better than what my life with my uncle Abraham's gonna be. So, you know, in that moment, Lot, though he would have never said this out loud, he was choosing pros- prosperity over morality. Uh, the moral implications of what he was about to do really didn't matter as much as the financial payout of what he was about to do. Uh, in that moment, he was, he was prioritizing the short term over the long term. Uh, so it was gonna be short term pleasure, uh, despite what the long term pain may actually be. And then he chose himself 
over everybody else, over his family, over his kids, over his God. And, and so he's right in the middle of falling for the lie of the grass that's on the other side that seems greener. And so it says, so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east and the two men parted company. It says, Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, if there was a movie soundtrack, this is where we would hear the music, dum, 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 dum. You know, there, there'd, be a, there'd be an ominous minor playing in the background of, okay, this is not good. Something bad is about to happen. And so Lot has made a decision. He has made a commitment to move in a particular direction that at that moment he has no idea how much risk that he is in. He has no idea the price that he and his family are gonna have to pay. He has no idea how high the stakes are in this moment when he makes this decision, but he makes the decision and Abraham, Abraham settles in Canaan, but Lot, he goes and settles exactly where he wanted to be. So Lot is kind of outside that circle of Abraham in this, more, in this moment. He's pitching his tents towards Sodom, uh, which of course um, you probably recognize if you've been around you know, the Bible for any time at all, or you've heard Old Testament stories. Uh, and if you hadn't, the writer wants us to know very clearly that now the people of Sodom, they were wicked. These are not good people. These are not people of faith. These are not people with the same value system that you know Abraham is trying to instill in his nephew Lot. These are wicked people and they were sinning greatly against the Lord. They just weren't sinning. They, they were sinning greatly uh, against God. And so this is where Lot is beginning to move his family. Uh, this is the direction that he's trying to you know, move his life in and it's gonna be a bad thing. And again, he's fallen for the lie of the greener grass. So he ends up in Sodom and he ends up living there and his daughters end up marrying Sodomites because, you know, uh, he took some choices away from his daughters when he decided to live here. So it wasn't as if his daughters had an option to marry anyone that would have been, you know, uh, a resemblance of Abraham or, you know, the value system of, of that faith uh, that Abraham has embraced in the one true God, Jehovah. Uh, so they marry Sodomites uh, and all of Lot and his family, they're totally immersed in this lawless and loveless culture. And there they are, they're just living life to the full. It seems like, hey, we've made the best decision ever. And then there's this invasion uh, from a neighboring, um, a neighboring kingdom. And of course, you know, war and invasions, you know, all the things that go along with that. And Lot and his family, Lot and his family in this invasion, uh, they're actually carried away in chains. And I just wonder, you know, they went from living it up, fully immersed in this culture, seem like they're having the time of their life, loving the greener grass, you know, like we just love this, so glad we did this. And all of a sudden there's an invasion, there's war and Lot and his family, they're carried away in chains. And I wonder if Lot ever thought as he and his family are being led away in chains as prisoners of war, I wonder if he ever thought for a moment and he thought to himself, hmm, these chains are a result of my choices. And I have indirectly chosen these chains because I chose to put myself in a place, I chose to put myself in a situation that got a set of dominoes falling and these dominoes kept falling until look at us, we are prisoners. 
And so Lot's chains were a consequence of his choices. But again, there's so much to this story. You know, Abraham, <laughs> Uncle Abraham, you know, who knew? I mean, you know, he, he's kind of a shepherd guy. He's kind of a nomad, but, but all of a sudden he becomes like Chuck Norris and he leads like a special force team of 318 people. And, and they come in and, you know, they kind of rescue Lot and his family. It's a great story and you can read about it. But, but at the end of all of it, Lot, he does the unthinkable. He does the unthinkable, he gets set free from this really unfortunate situation. He gets set free and, and what does Lot do? Lot actually goes back to Sodom. He goes back to life the way it was before. And so God, he, he tells Abram, Abram, I, I'm gonna destroy Sodom. I'm gonna destroy Sodom. It's a wicked city. They're, they're just consistently, continually, they're just, I'm, I'm gonna destroy them. I'm gonna judge them, um, their choices, they're gonna receive the full recompense. They're, they're gonna receive the full consequence of, of their choices. And so, you know, there's this great dialogue between Abraham and God. And, you know, Abraham's asking God, would you spare the city if there's 50 righteous people in it? Or if there's 40 righteous people in it, if there's 30 righteous people in it. And, and, and of course, you know, it became very evident that God is gonna judge this city. And, and so again, there's more to this story than I have time to tell. There's these two angels which are sent to Lot. And uh, again, it, it's a part of the story that most of the time it's the only part of the story that we actually tell, but, it, but it's not the point of the story that I'm telling today. But, but Lot was being warned. He, he was being warned by God. There was, there was this grace of God towards Lot and his family saying, hey, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. You need to get out of this town. You need to get out of this city. You got to relocate. You got to get out of here. And, and so these angels that have been sent from God are trying to get Lot to leave, but he's so invested in Sodom. He's so in love with Sodom. He's so in love with this, this grass that seems greener and feels greener and it, it looks good, it feels good, it sounds good. And, and he's so attached to it. He's actually reluctant to leave. Even though he's been you know captured and he was a prisoner of war for a time and now he's back and it says, when he hesitated, this is Lot hesitating with the angels. The men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. Now, you, you may remember this part from, from Sunday school um, that when Lot was leaving, not only had he developed a heart for the city of Sodom, but also his wife, his wife looked back. You remember that? And there was that whole pillar, pillar of salt. Uh, and, and then, you know, after Sodom, even though they left Sodom, it was hard to get Sodom to leave them. And so their heart, their hearts were kind of gripped with the, with the philosophy and with the moral code and the ethics and the values of that city that they had lived in for so long. And, and there's just one terrible consequence after another, you know, uh, Lot's two daughters got him drunk, had sex with him, and fathered, you know, what became the enemies of Israel, uh, the, the Moabites. And, and it's just this tragic story. It's like one tragedy upon another, upon another, upon another. And, and here's, here's Lot, like many of us, he chose this. He believed the lie of the greener grass. He said, you know what? I think what I don't have is better than what I do have. And so he followed after a lie. He chased after what he thought was good because it looked good, it sounded good, and it felt good. He chased after it, and when he got it, it in many ways destroyed his life. In many ways, it shattered his family. And it is 
more than a proverb. It is a true story of what can happen when we chase after the wrong things or we chase after the right things in the wrong way. The contrast of the story is Abraham, a man of faith who believed God and Lot, a man of faithlessness who believed what he saw, who believed what he felt. He believed the lie of the greener grass. I think Abraham was operating by a different code that would say something like this. You've heard these words before, that the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not my shepherd. I'm not gonna fixate on what's on the other side of the grass. It may look good, it may sound good, it may feel good, but, but at the end of the day, I, I can't trust myself. I can't trust my appetites. I can't trust my desires. I can't trust my perception. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm gonna have to trust him. I'm gonna have to follow in his direction because he knows what I need. He knows what I want, he knows what I need. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing because I've given up the lie of the greener grass. I've given up perception, deception. I've given up the idea that everything that looks good, sounds good and feels good is good for me. I lack nothing. When I follow the good shepherd, when I follow his path, when I chase after him, when I chase after him, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, in true green pastures. And they may not look the way I think they should look. It may not seem like a green pasture to me or feel like a green pasture to me. But when the shepherd leads me, I can trust that it's the green pasture that I need. He leads me beside still waters, quiet waters, and he refreshes my soul. He guides me, he guides me. He knows the path. He knows how to show me the path. He knows the way and he can show me the way. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. He guides me in the direction that I should go, in the way that I should go, in a way of wisdom that avoids some of the pitfalls and the traps and the danger that exists along the way. The good shepherd keeps me from becoming my own version of a lot, of when I should have stayed where I was, but yet I believe the lie that the grass was greener over there and what I didn't have was better than what I did have. The, green sh the good shepherd, he guides me. He helps me along to more skillfully navigate my way into the future. And, and here's the thing we all know. And this is just, this is just one-on-one. Where the good shepherd leads, where he leads, it may not seem better, but it will always be best. It may not seem better. It doesn't always seem good, feel good, look good, sound good. It doesn't always sound good, doesn't always feel good, doesn't always look good. The places that he leads us or the places that he tells us to stay doesn't always seem good, feel good, look good, but it is always best. So let's receive the words today. Be careful what you chase after because you just might catch it. And when you do, you may end up like Lot with nothing to show for it.
except for pain and loss and disappointment and regret. Let's not let that be our story. Let's be a people of faith and say, good shepherd, lead me in the places, even if they don't seem good, feel good or look good. I'm gonna trust that you know best and that the places you take me or the places you leave me, they are what is truly best. Heavenly Father, speak to us these words of wisdom. Let us receive counsel, receive insight, receive this advice. Let us become wiser because of it. And let us navigate into the future in a much healthier way than we would have otherwise. In Jesus' name, amen.